Welcome to the Abbot Loop Community Church Podcast. Enjoy this message from Josh Tanner. Good morning. Man, this series has been fantastic, uh, and God is just really doing something in the hearts and lives of so many. I've heard lots of different testimonies about, wow, I've never thought of it that way. I never understood that that's what that passage meant, or, um, you know, I, I've believed this for a long time, but I just didn't understand why I believed it, and I, I understand it more strongly now. So um, that's really encouraging to me. And today is going to be today's going to be a message where I'm really going at the heart of the whole issue, and I want to see a, a, a real cultural shift, and I want to be a part of that, not just in our church, but churches outside and in, in the body of Christ at large, as well as in our community. So we want to see the power of what God's doing in and through each one of us equally, just thriving, just moving in power in, in all contexts. Amen? Okay, so today we're going to be talking about your cultural lens, that you and I, we wear a lens that affects the way we see. I want you to think about this. Have you ever pulled on a pair of tinted sunglasses? Uh, when, when I do construction, sometimes I like to wear either darker ones or those cool yellow ones. And for a little while, it's like things are brighter. But there, after a time, your mind shifts and you actually begin to see, you, you, that becomes reality. You forget that you're looking through a lens and it's changing all of the colors. So sometimes I'll be wearing, because it's really bright and sunny out, I'll be working, and you know, in Alaska, I don't know if you guys know, I mean, you guys know this, if you've been here a while, like, you start working, and then you realize, it's midnight, and you're still working, what is happening? And neighbors are like, stop sighing, you're driving me crazy. <laughs> but there'll be times when I have my darker sunglasses on, and I'm working, and I'm thinking, oh man, it's getting dark. It's really dark, man. It's so dark. And then I remember, oh my gosh, I'm wearing sunglasses. It's like 10 o'clock in Alaska. How is it dark right now? I'll take off my glasses. I'm like, oh my word, I still got two more hours of work I can do. I can take those suckers off, put new ones on. Or some of you ladies wear those rose-colored glasses, right? Like just to make life look a little rosier throughout the day. And you realize it's just not that rosy sometimes. And you take them off and you look at reality. So we, when we're talking about our cultural lens, we cannot be naive as a people to the power of what has been ingrained into us, the, the worldview that we grow up in. Um, so some people, it, it's, this is, this, I don't even want to say this because it's so bad. We talk about um, just like white male privilege in, in America, so if you're a man who's over six feet tall and you're white, you think, well, why does everybody have a problem? What is everybody's problem in this world? I mean, I love everybody just the same and I don't think about people differently and I treat everybody the same. This is a really naive perspective because the reality is, is that everyone isn't treated the same. Try being an African-American person and live in the South. Even, uh, let's go 40 years ago, 50 years ago, when they had to ride on the back of a bus. In our, in our generation, some of you maybe live there. I have a personal friend 
who went to segregated high schools and he had to get bust. He could see the high school and he had to get bust from that school miles down the road to a black school so that they would just start changing this thing. It was a massive shift. And, and, but the, the reality is, is, yeah, we've made a lot of headway. We've just made headway when it comes to race. We've made headway in America when it comes to class, but we're not all the way there. But the area that needs the most work is with women. I really believe this globally, is that women are treated as a second-class citizen, and it's not okay. And yeah, if you're a white male over six foot tall, or even a black male over six foot tall, and you don't, you go like, well, what are they talking about? I think this, you go, well, you haven't been a woman. I haven't been a woman. And until we learn to see how other people see, sees life, we can never truly understand the, the trials or the obstacles they're really going through. So what we're gonna do today is we're gonna take off our lenses of naivety. We're gonna lay them down. We're gonna say, okay, we have to accept the fact that our world is not perfect. Our world and the church is not perfect, but perfection lives inside of us. And so we have the opportunity to drive and move this issue forward. We can be change agents, cultural change agents, as long as we're willing to take off the lens and, and begin to see and accept the fact that it is not all perfect. So in this, in this series we talked about, I just wanna recap this series, and I don't want you to shut your brains off because this is important. We talked about that, the, that this issue about women and the empowerment of women and whether women can teach and women can lead in the church. Because this is really where we have the problem. For some reason, our cultural lens is on where we go, well, it's okay if we had a woman president. It's okay if my boss is a woman now. It's okay if my mom is a woman and she bosses me around. <laughs> well, amen, she should. Why is that okay? And then all of a sudden in the church context, no, 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 no. Well, you can't do that there. So that's where we have this image of this glass ceiling. Look, there's a real glass ceiling where women have been limited to what they could do because of how we read or we interpret or we think the scripture is saying. But the one thing that is absolute truth is that the Bible never refers to women in leadership or teaching as sin, ever. It never refers to a woman learning as an equal as sin. Ever, it's not in the Bible. But then we treat it as sin, and then we also, we behave with sinful behaviors when the topic comes up. We get angry, we get divisive, sometimes we're de de you know, deceptive, or we're demeaning. We throw labels out, like when a strong woman leads, we call them a Jezebel. I'm not gonna say we, because I've never done that, thank the Lord. I don't want to stand before Jesus for that one. Thank God for his mercy. But it's still, that's sin. That is sinful behavior. But the Bible never refers to any of this as sin. And the Bible also never uh, tells us really much about how it ought to be structured. But this is also the thing we chatted about was that, who, that, that, that there's a real distinct plan from the enemy to limit the army of God. And it's his plan to limit more than 50% of the body of Christ's military power. 
And so if we disempower women in leadership and teaching, we have just cut off over half of the strength of our army. The other thing we talked about was that the curse was bad. The curse was bad. Garden, good. Curse, bad. It's, it's really not more complicated than that. But in lots of theology, especially in the theology to try to create a framework for disempowering women or keeping them in a certain box or limit, we use the, the fall, the curse, as a model. This is a bad idea. Let's take a bad model, not God's ideal, not his plan, to then frame how we're all gonna work and live together as the body of Christ. This, I just want some of these things in our mind as we start to think about the cultural lens that is truly influencing our life today. So we also talked about, Pastor Rick talked about the culture of the time uh, when the Bible was written and the teaching of the epistles and how we are to read epistles specifically because epistles are a one-way conversation. We get to look in a two-way conversation on one half of the conversation, okay? So it's like listening to the telephone. You only get half the conversation. There were specific problems that they wrote to their apostle, the apostle Paul about, and he wrote back to them. And in that context, specifically to Ephesus and Corinth, which are the two places we find these these seeming restrictions or limitations for women, these are both epistles, and they are both highly pagan environments that had lots of temple worship, two different types of temple worship gods that was radically influencing the way church was happening, and they needed to make some corrections to that specific culture. And so here's one of the rules in how we read and interpret the scripture. It is to them, the people of the time, to the church of Ephesus, to the church in Corinth, and it is applicable for us. Not written to us. To be interpreted by our current cultural lens reading into that space. You're gonna get really whacked out. And we have done messages on this and we could do more messages just to help you see how crazy your theology can get if you're thinking it was written to you. Read the book of Revelation and think that way. And then you start behaving really weird. People do it. They drive trucks all around and tell you it's the end of the world. And then you go get an ice cream at Tasty Freeze the next day. All right. The third thing was about how Jesus, Gretchen, Pastor Gretchen preached this, that Jesus changed everything, is that he came into a world that was on the model of the fall than the law, and the law actually was a little bit of an upgrade from the fall. And then we had, Jesus came in and gave him a massive upgrade, no longer by your strength, but by his might will you be saved and encounter and walk in the power of God. We saw the way Jesus treated women and it was a massive counter-cultural, turn the upside down, turn the world upside down kind of move. And we wanna live and model after Jesus's life because Jesus is perfect theology. Bill Johnson says that all the time. And I want you to just let that sink in a little bit. Is that the way Jesus lived, if your theology does not shape up and look like the way Jesus lived, you should start working on your theology your doctrine, because Jesus was perfect theology, and he loved and empowered all people the same. All right.
Mark talked about the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit was really Women's Liberation Day. It was like the seal of approval because the, 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 the model, what does he say? He said that the, uh, the model clarifies the meaning. Ooh, this is a good thing to think about is that the model clarifies the meaning. What the Holy Spirit actually did and what was really happening, it brings justification. It's like a stamp of approval on how he wants it to operate. When he says, I pour out my spirit on all flesh, and then he does it. And women prophesy, women lead, women begin to share the word, teach the word, and it happened all throughout the scripture. So the, the, the thing the Holy Spirit was really doing, it clarifies and helps bring clarity to the meaning of what we're trying to understand. So today we're gonna just kind of move forward and we're gonna seal the rest of this all up and we're gonna just challenge the thinking about what we see. And so before we really totally dive in here and I start busting up the concrete in your life, I want you to know this, is that I don't think anybody here is a misogynist or thinks that women are just a lesser human being than you, all right? So maybe you are, but I don't think you are. It's hard for me to imagine that anybody here would be thinking that way. And so I just want you to know, that's not what we're talking about today, but in the same breath, this is a real problem and a real issue in the body of Christ. Church of 5,000 down in Seattle, whole church, blows up because their leader had some hyper-misogynistic thinking about women, and he was kind of in a code way attacking all kinds of women in the church. Church of 5,000, you know how many it is now? Zero. Doesn't exist. Jesus said, by your fruits, you will know them. We've got to look at the fruit. So it is a real issue in the body of Christ, even though I don't think, and I'm not trying to say anybody here is a misogynist or has these types of radical thinking, but we wanna make sure that you and I, because sometimes we think it's not real, but then women go along and they bump into this stuff, even if it's not you doing it, there are other people that are doing this. And maybe there's subtle things that, and that because of, this is what I really believe, is that most people just want to read the Bible and obey what it says, you know? And so I think that we're probably all a bunch of just good people trying to do what the Bible says, and we think it says one thing, but, and then we're trying to do it. But we have to pay attention to what kind of fruit is coming out the other end. Because if it's really bad and it's demoralizing and demeaning and, and, and crushing people and it's hurtful, that is not the gospel of love. So I want to just read a couple things to you. This is from Danny Silk's book, Powerful and Free, which we are recommending you buy. We're using his graphic and his title for our whole series. We did get permission for that, by the way. But we did tell him we would help him sell his books. And honestly, this is one of the top three books that we recommend and, that I've, and the books that I've read on this subject. It's very good. Leading as a woman. Elizabeth, founder founder and executive director of an international parachurch ministry, credits much of her success to the male leaders who have persistently supported her in her ministry. However, she admits wrestling with feelings that she is a second-class status and has limited opportunities as a woman in the church. It seems to her that she somehow puts off the senior level men's club, for they have always founded reasons, found reasons not to work with her. The glass ceiling feels real to her, and she admits 
that she needs to manage her heart and guard against offense. She wonders whether the limits she experiences ha experience have to do with her age, her particular area of gifting, or the fact that she's a woman. Marjorie, a leader at, at a Christian educational institution, has had many painful experiences in the church at one church, which is she is no longer attends, thank the Lord. She was told that she must get rid of her Eve nature and that nothing could come from her or any other woman without it first going through a man. She was taught that a woman could only be in ministry if her husband balanced out her extreme and unbalanced tendencies as a woman. A church leader once told her husband, if you don't take control of your wife, you'll never go anywhere in your call from God. Because of her strong leadership gift and personality and her commitment to excellence, Marjorie has at least once been called or labeled a Jezebel, though she is neither rebellious nor subversive. And she experienced physically violent abuse from the church leaders demanding that she submit, abuse that should have landed them in jail. For years, Marjorie lived with the belief that her strong personality was sinful. She wrestled with who she was and wished she were quieter and more socially acceptable. She told me she used to cry out to God, why can't I just be quiet like the pastor's wife? If you're around here, that's not the example you know. <laughs> My wife is not quiet. A few years ago, a female friend who worked in the church leadership finally helped Marjorie break free of the lie. If you're strong, you're trying to be like a man. Nevertheless, even though she fe now feels internally free to embrace who she was, created to be as a woman, she still believes that most men see her as being unsafe for church leadership. These are people that Danny Silk, he's a counselor as well as a pastor, has counseled in leadership and ministry. This is real time, real day, real churches happening right now. I even had someone uh, mention to me in an email since we've been teaching, she experienced very similar scenario, dynamic leadership gift. When men needed to make a decision, they would ask her to leave the room in church. I mean, this is an A-game type leader making a huge difference. And they go, oh, hey, we're about to make a decision now. Could you just, could you go? Because you're a woman, you can't really make this call. Does that feel right to you? No. Because there's someone living inside you, the Holy Spirit, who's guiding your life. And he says, hold on a second. See, we need a reality check. This is a real issue, and it really affects the body of Christ. And we truly have been influenced by the world around us. One thing that I want to do is ask you this question, is are you trying, when you're reading the Bible, are you looking for life and relationship, or are you looking for law and rules? So when you're wearing a new covenant lens, when you understand what Jesus did for you and when he died on the cross and he said it was finished, he truly did fulfill all the works of the law. And then when you read the New Testament writings from the Apostle Paul and he says, all of the things in the law are done in Galatians, in Peter. He says everything that happened back there 
It, honestly, the law never did anything good for any person. This is the Apostle Paul, not Josh. He says all it did was expose sin. That was its job. Its job was to expose sin, to tell us where we're missing the mark, to show us that we couldn't do it on our own, and to prove who the Messiah was. These are all really good things. The law's not bad. It just wasn't good for you. It didn't help you become righteous. It showed you you were not righteous. And it led you to Christ. That's the way that it helped you and I. And it showed us, not by our works and our might, that we could ever do it, but only by God's grace. But when we read the scripture, we are so afraid. We're so afraid as human beings that if we don't have all this law and rules to tell us what to do, we're just going to go off the rails. And all our kids are going to sin and they're going to go all over the place. But Galatians tells us, you live by the law, you die by the law. But Galatians also tells us that you can live by the Spirit. He is the lawgiver inside you. And you need to stop. He goes, why are you going back to the law, you foolish people? Live by the Spirit. It's the only real life. So when we're reading the New Testament, if we have on the cultural bias, the lens, where we're looking for laws and rules, guess what you're going to see? You're going to find them. And you're going to find all these laws and rules and you're going to start reading through epistles and like thinking, okay, these are supposed to be guidelines on how we're supposed to run our churches. And we got to try to get it all in the perfect law and rule because if we get it all just right, then God will pour out his spirit. But this is tabernacle thinking. This is temple thinking, not new covenant thinking. In the tabernacle in the Old Testament, they had to get all the sacrifices and the tent all set up just right. And, they, and then they had to do it all just perfect then the Holy Spirit would pour out. But now, Hebrews says, we don't have to do any of that stuff. We get to come because of the sacrifice of our high priest, our good and faithful high priest. His sacrifice is now, today, and forever. It never ends. We get to come boldly into the throne room of God, the Holy of Holies. We don't make sacrifices because our high priest made an eternal sacrifice for us forever. We have to be looking for life in relationship, not laws and rules. So when we read through some of these difficult passages, <coughs> we start going, we, we're wearing a lens, and we see something. And we don't really realize it. We, it just happens to us. Like, let's look here. I want you to see this. I want you to see this image of a saxophone player. Look at this image of a saxophone player. Do you see him? They go off. Do you see the saxophone player? But actually, I want you to see the image of a woman in this photo. Do you see the woman? Do you see the saxophone player? <laughs> okay. I told you to see the saxophone player. How many of you actually saw the saxophone player the first time I told you? Yeah? Or did you see the woman? Did you see the woman? Okay. Sometimes the power of suggestion cannot overcome. But you know what? I saw a woman the first time I saw this. And then now, because I've been talking about the saxophone player, that's what I see first. <laughs> the world around you influences what you see. Let's see this next one. What do you see? How many of you guys see a rabbit? How many of you guys see a duck? <laughs> okay. But now how many of you guys see a rabbit now? Can you see the rabbit? He's facing the other way. 
Keep looking. There he is. The duck bill is the rabbit's ears. And then there's his eye. He's facing this way. But then the duck is going that way. You see what you want to see. Sometimes you see what's predisposed in your mind. And there's things coming going around that are influencing what you see. But what you see on the surface or just the first time may not be the whole story. And when we're reading the epistles, when we're reading these passages, I'm telling you right now, it's not the whole story. There's so much deeper. There's so much more. Look at this last one. What's missing? Is the guy really headless? He looks headless, but he's just carrying a mirror. And the mirror happens to be pointed kind of at the ground where there's some concrete. But he looks headless. <laughs> And when you read some of these passages in the Bible where it says women should be silent, it feels like this, doesn't it? Wait, 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 something must be missing here. Women need to do, you know, are, you know somehow we think women aren't allowed to lead. And how do we even get to this place? There, there's something that seems to just be like, wait, there's something off here. There is missing some part of the story. Let's look here. Let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 2. One of you ladies, your favorite passages in the whole Bible. 1 Timothy 2 verse 11. Let a woman learn in quietness, in entire submissiveness. What do you hear? What do you see? What do you see? First, be quiet and submissive. How many of you guys see be quiet and submissive? That's kind of what you see first. All the ladies are like, yeah, that's what I see. Maybe you think that because of this passage, this interpretation. Let's do the next one. The King James says this. Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. I'm going to tell you right now. Old King Jimmy was one of the worst misogynists in world history. And if you think he didn't influence this version of the Bible, you're being naive. And I'm not trying to be mean. And being naive is like being ignorant. We just don't know. It's not a bad thing. It just is. This guy was, you should read stuff. And I would, if I had more time, I would have just thrown all these quotes and stuff in here. But it makes me angry. And then I just start to lose it. This dude was a misogynist. He was bad. He thought women were the origin of evil. He thought women were literally possessions. And so we read this all the time, and it affects the way we see. And so when we read, we get messed up. So here's the Greek. The Greek word is quietness, silence, or settling down, or lack of disturbance. Why do we go to silence as the interpretation of the scripture? We go from the Greek and we go, oh, it's women should be silent. So now we say women should be silent versus women should not be disruptive. Uh, do you think men should not be disruptive? Yeah, okay, women should also not be disruptive. But there's a specific answer to this because in this time, talking Timothy, he pastored in Ephesus, women were not allowed to be educated at all. And what was happening was there was, there was not all women because not all women were married, but there were some women. Whoa, I just fell off. There were some women. You are waiting me for to do that for like years, weren't you? There were some women 
<laughs> you guys just watch my feet over the edge. They're like, you just got to fall any time. I'm not going to fall. Except that time. There, there were women that were like, they were always segregated. Men and women were all one side. Men, men are on one side, women are on the other side. And so wives were standing up going, hey, Billy, what does that mean? What's the pastor saying? He's going like, dude, I'm talking right now. If somebody over here started yelling at somebody over there and asking them questions, that would be a little bit disturbing. There'd be a disruption happening. When anybody just starts blasting off and talking like crazy whenever I'm preaching, it's kind of distracting, isn't it? It's, distur it's disturbing. There's appropriate times like, hey, man, hey, we're together. But there's other times when it's like it gets to be a disturbance. And so what was literally happening at this time is there was these exchanges going on. There was so, tons of wildness because the prophetic things that happened in the temple were very spiritual, but they were very sexual, and they were very, like, big and wild and crazy. And even the things that women wore, they were like, let people know that they were prostitutes. And so when we look through these passages, Corinthians and Ephesians, and it says these restrictions and things women shouldn't wear and stuff, it was for, for, and the way they shouldn't talk, it was for a specific purpose, so that they would not be a distraction or disruption. But why do we hear be silent? Look at this next passage. This is my favorite interpretation of this version. Let a woman quietly receive instruction with entire submission. Does this sound a little better? I want you to think about this. Why do we see be quiet, shut up, instead of what the main point of this verse is, let a woman learn? Why do we see be quiet instead of let a woman receive instruction, learn? Because women were not allowed. It was against the law for women to receive instruction. That was the big cultural cross-cultural thing that was happening. And Jesus did the same thing. He began to teach women. We had Mary and Martha. Martha's struggling going, I, she's not allowed to sit there and learn. She's supposed to be working with me. And Jesus goes, it's okay for Mary to be at my feet and learn. You can come learn too. I can learn. I'm a woman. I'm not allowed. The culture, the context, the time is absolutely crucial. But for us, to think that we're not influenced by the lens that we wear. When we read a passage like this, instead of seeing let women learn as like this positive movement, we see women shut up and be quiet. Come on. This is powerful stuff that we have to embrace. We have to realize it's, it, it, it's influencing us. There's passage even in Corinthians, we worked through this one already, but it says, that women should be quiet and all this stuff, as it says in the law. And this is really this sarcastic flip in this passage. But the law, never even in the Bible, never, there's no one time in the law that it says women should be quiet or shouldn't learn. It doesn't ever say that. Actually, this is what the law says in Deuteronomy 31.12. Assemble the people, men and women and children and aliens. Ooh, they had aliens living in your towns, so they can listen and learn to fear the Lord your God and follow carefully all the words of this law. So women actually were allowed to learn. And in the 
the, the, the oral law, it was taught that women can't even learn, let alone talk or teach. And that was the thing that Paul was going after in Corinthians. And he goes, did the law originate with you? Are you crazy? This isn't even the real law. This is the law you made up. You can't just make up whatever you want and then control people with it. And so there's actually a punctuation in the scripture in that passage that makes, it, it makes this sarcastic reverse statement that honestly, in context, that's the only way it can really make sense. So I know we talked about these in our 4 p.m. sessions, but if you missed them, I just sort of wanted to highlight a little bit of them. And in the books that we recommend, they teach through all of this. So if you want to learn more about the, what's really being said, you should buy one of these books so you can dig and, and study deeper. Okay, we're going to jump into a little bit more of a meaty space here. And I want you to just get something. Just, we want to see what we want to see. Okay, Titus chapter 2. You must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. Teach older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, and self-controlled. Okay, and sound in faith and love and endurance. Likewise, teach older women to be reverent the way they live, not to be slanderers and addicted to much wine, but to teach uh, what is good. Look, it says, he's gonna teach them to teach what is good. Telling them specifically, teach. Teach women so they can teach. And he also says, then they can urge younger women to love their husbands and children and be self-controlled and pure and busy at home to be kind and subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. Okay, we read this, if we're reading for laws and rules and restrictions and we have a women should be limited lens, we read women should only teach women. But it does not say that. It does not say women should only teach women. It says women should teach women. They need to mentor young women. And is it appropriate, more appropriate, for a woman to, a, to mentor a woman? It is, right? And it's more appropriate for a man to mentor a man. But it doesn't say that, oh, you can only talk to women and children. But we take this passage and all of a sudden we read this and make some law of it that it's some sort of restriction that women can do some things. Okay, I'm gonna freak you out even a little bit more. So let's keep going. Uh, similarly, encourage young men to be self-controlled in everything. Set them uh, an example of doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that it cannot be condemned. So that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. <laughs> that's Canadian. That's a Canadian version. I didn't type this out. This is literally, it's just like the program did that. About us. There it is. Man, whoa. That dude's got skills back there. Teach slaves to be subject. Whoa, 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 whoa. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters and everything? So it's okay to have slaves? Oh, women have to be silent, and it's okay to have slaves. And, you know, to be subject to their masters and everything, try to please them. Do you know who used this passage in the 1860s? Every Democrat. Sorry. The Democrats are the ones that try to keep slavery in power. And they... 
This is real world history, guys. It's the truth. And they used this passage. Pastors preached this and said, it's okay to have slaves. You know what they forgot to read is 1 Timothy or Titus 1, 9, which I'll read to you. It says, we also know that the law is made not for the righteous. I don't have this passage back there, brother, so I'm just going to read it. Righteous, but for the lawbreakers and rebels, ungodly, sinful, unholy, irreligious, and for those who kill their fathers, mothers, murderers, for adulterers and perverts. These are a lot of sin things, right? For slave traders and liars and perjurers. What kind of slaves is he talking about? In this word, the Greek word for this slaves right here is bond servants. People who choose to indebt themselves to others specifically. And if you, if you look in, in, the, in, the, uh, in the Greek here, it says bond servants to be subject to their masters in everything. A bondservant chose, or sometimes it was indebted service, like they had debt that they had to pay off. They're not in dirt endorsing slavery. But if you just look at the lens and you want to see what you want to see, and you belong to the KKK, and you're a pastor of a church, I don't even understand how this is possible. My lens is so different. But this is our world that we have come out of. And they used that passage because they wanted to see what they wanted to see, and they used it as a big lever to enslave and to entrap, and to hurt, and to treat people with terrible, ungodly, demeaning, demoralizing behavior. I'm telling you right now, we're doing the same thing to women. It's no different. Just as evil, just as bad. Look here in Ephesians 5. One of the things as I was praying about this over the years, and this is within the last 10 years, I had lots of fasting and praying and seeking the Lord, asking God, to show me something. Give me a sign, Lord. <laughs> How do you unravel this mystery? And he told me, Josh, you have, and a specific word, almost audible, he said, you have to understand headship. I'm like, well, I don't know what that means. What is headship? And so I began to study and ask the Holy Spirit to give me insight. Many other people have insight to this. That was my journey. As I began to read even these other people's teaching, I learned more and more about headship. And when we look here in this passage, Ephesians 5, verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Context is king. You cannot leave this part out of the Bible. Then it says, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. So wait a second. Husbands and wives are to submit to each other no matter what, and wives are to submit to their husbands. Both. How do you do that? What? You can't subtract it. You can't just wear your cultural lens and just like, oh, well, that's not in there. That must mean something else for somewhere else. It doesn't mean something for somewhere else. It's in this passage. In perfect context, it makes sense if you're willing to lay down your lens and really see it. Then it says, wives submit to the husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, for which he is the Savior. And now as the church submits to Christ, we also, wives, should submit to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing of the water through the word and present to uh, her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one 
hated his own body, but he, feel, but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. It's a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. He's also, this is a big metaphor for Christ and the church. And it's also what's happening in our marriages. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Okay, so what's happening here? We get all messed up if, when we hear the husband is the head of the wife, what do we think? Control. We think, well, the head's the boss. The head's the controller. But this word in the Greek, it means by extension, someone or something in the primary place, the point of origin or fountain head. And when you think about it as a fountainhead, a source of life coming to feed and bring life to something, it actually makes more sense in the context because it says we're to love as Christ loved. Is Christ your boss? Does he control you? No. He, does he resource you? Does he influence you? Does he cause you to want to be better? Does he empower you? Does he limit you? He just, does he lift you up? Does he make you awesome? Does he try to get you to be the best you you can ever be? Does he try to fulfill his greatest purpose and work inside your life so you can reach your maximum potential and, and, and for Christ with no limitations? Does he do that? That's how a man is supposed to be a fountainhead, a life, a resource to his wife. So when you look at real leadership, it looks like this in the same context, Ephesians 5, 1 we go back into Ephesians 5.1. If we're to be a fountainhead, a head, a life source for our spouses, or women in particular, be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Wow. Changes the meaning. But we like to read, and this happens to us, we read things the way we think it ought to be or the way we have been taught or the way the culture influences us. But here's, here's what I want us to grab onto as we close today. If love is the main law in the new covenant, why would we ever embrace such an unloving doctrine that hurts, demeans, and damages over half the body of Christ? If a man loves his own body, Ephesians 5 says, won't he take care of it? And so if we really love ourselves, but we're gonna be the head, the controller, and we're gonna damage and demean half our body, is this really loving ourself? We're hurting ourselves in doing this, and only the enemy is winning because he's limiting women. He's limiting their vision for what they can have. The Bible says without a vision, people perish. They cast off restraint. They give up. And if we remove vision from women for them reaching their full potential, whatever it is God's leading them to, no glass ceiling, no lid, only resource, then they begin to dream. They begin to learn. Because you learn different when you know you get to teach or you get to lead. You know that? In fact, I know this for a fact. I have tried to develop leaders and Almost two decades I've been developing leaders. And I have learned that if I don't put a real responsibility on someone, they can barely learn anything. 
try to build a deck, try to build a house, try to lead a small group, try to do anything. You teach just theory and all this stuff, but you don't actually give a context for them to do applied learning and try. They have no vision. They don't even know why they're studying. But when you start out and you just go and you do, it draws on this need to learn more. So when Jesus says, teach, when the Holy Spirit says, learn, when the Apostle Paul says, learn, it's for a purpose. Not just so they can sit and be quiet, no. So they can be dynamic and powerful world changers. You have to have a vision, women, for your life. That God made you special, he made you amazing. He made you to change the world. He didn't make you for a limit. He didn't make you to be a sidecar on my motorcycle. He made you to be your own powerful driving force of love in this world. And men, he did make us physically stronger. This happened. There are different differences biologically between men and women. And what a gift it is that we get to use our strength to resource other people. Not control, but to lift up. To lay our lives down as Christ did so that women can be the fullest and reach their fullest. It's the most beautiful thing that we could ever do is lay our life down for another. That's real love. So I want you to see this last image as we close. And this is how you need to do theology. From the root to the fruit. And if the fruit is not good, you need to go back and adjust your roots. If you've put together a theology or a structure to theology that is destructive, demeaning, and demoralizing to women and limits them, I'm sorry, I love you, Jesus loves you, but that you have to taste of the fruit. If it's rotten, it's not good. Jesus said, by your fruits you will know them. It's okay. In Christ, there's no condemnation in him. We get a chance to make an adjustment and live right. But Jesus empowered, we ought to empower. Let's go back to the roots of what we believe and let's start making some changes. If you look at the fruit and it's bad and you go, how can this be? There's like the guy that's missing his head. It's like, it just doesn't line up. Something is missing. You've got to keep asking more questions and going down to the root till you find an answer that really makes sense and that really supplies life to the tree. And the tree is the church. It's us all working in abundance, fueled by his love together. Amen. So we're going to do something right now. If y'all just close your eyes for a second. If you're a woman here today and you felt limited, you felt held back, you felt this glass ceiling, or maybe you were called a Jezebel. Maybe you were told you weren't allowed to. I just wanna ask you to forgive the church. Will you forgive the leaders in the church for holding you back, for limiting you? Will you forgive them? We release that. I just wanna say, I'm sorry. It's real, it happened to you. I'm validating it, it's real. It's not a lie, it's not a joke, and I'm sorry. Holy Spirit, will you forgive us for the way we have limited women in our churches? 
And God, will you just set us free? God, I'm praying right now as forgiveness begins to be released, that Holy Spirit, your love will pour out in each and every woman here today. And God, you'll fill them up. God, I break off this destructive lie from the enemy. And I just pray that a seed will be sown, a vision will be sown in the hearts and lives of women to lead with their destiny, the greatest destiny you've shaped them for. And God, you will cause this church to be a church of empowerment. And if you're a man here today and you're like, you know what? This is convicting me at some level here that maybe I haven't defended women enough. Maybe I've treated them really badly. Maybe I've realized that my theology is messed up and I have been leading in a life that has been harming people and I'm not feeling good about that. Let's repent. Jesus, forgive me for every way that I have led, believed this lie. I ask you to forgive me for it. And I'm praying for change in my heart and my mind that I'd see what you see. And God, I'm asking that you would release the women in and around my life. And I'm praying blessing over them. I'm praying fruitfulness over them. Come on, begin to pray and bless the women in your life. God, I pray that you would move in power over them. And God, their greatest destiny without limitations, as if I should be some limitation for anyone in your creation. God, forgive me for that kind of arrogant thinking. And God, will you just bless the women around me? Cause this church to be one in your spirit. In Jesus' name. I want to read these closing scriptures to you. Galatians 3.28. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. No more class, no more gender, no more race. Isn't that beautiful? One. God's vision for us is one. Acts 2.16. Know this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. The Holy Spirit is God's seal of approval on you as women. Ephesians 4.4, there is one body, one spirit, just as you are all called to one hope when you were when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. It's all of us. Father, will you help us to live this life in the fullness of your grace, the fullness of your power. Cause us to be world changers as one. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this message, please connect with us at abbotloop.org and like us on Facebook. Services in Anchorage, Alaska are at 9 and 11 a.m. We hope to see you soon.